0: Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Week three of our series called You Asked For It. How many of you have enjoyed this series so far? It's definitely different, but man, it's been a, it's been a blast to be able to get up here and just talk and I tell people like I love preaching, like a, like, a, like a sermon, but I love like one-on-one conversations and this is kind of melding the two together. This is me having a, a, a one-on-y'all conversation. And so uh, anyway, this has been so much fun. Hey, real quick before I begin though, I just want to give a big shout out. We already like gave a shout out to Jonathan who just had a baby. It's Nate's birthday. Now, he's not really sure if it's his birthday or not, though. It's either today or tomorrow. Apparently, he was born at like midnight, but nobody was
1: watching the clock. And so we just, it was like, uh. In Africa, yeah. That was like a. Because you couldn't go out zone. and just look at the stars and. So I turned 40, y'all. And uh, I'm excited. He's 40. Isn't that crazy? But what's cool about my birthday is God gave me the best, best birthday present ever last year. My daughter was born on, on my birthday. So my daughter turns one with me as well. So. Very excited! Absolutely. So happy birthday to you. Thank you. You're Thank a you, good-looking 40-year-old guy. Thank you. You're doing Thank pretty you. well for yourself. I was telling Pastor Todd that when I first came here, uh, just to hang out and kind of see if this is where we want to be for my family and I, that this church just has beautiful people, man. Like, a lot of you guys are just buff, and I just, I don't know. I don't know. A lot of bald people in the house, and so that's cool. So beautiful church. Love the church. Amen. Yeah. So where do you go from there thank you
0: Th- thank you that was like a backhanded compliment you're so good looking and bald okay i'd like to think of myself as like the jason statham of pastoring that's yeah so anyway thank you my, as well my wife um so uh hey, so let's dive into this series now that I've completely sidetracked now. I just went meant to wish you a happy birthday. I don't uh, Thank I've you, Pastor Ton. Like I appreciate
1: that. it, man. Anyway, uh
0: you. so anyway, um yeah, we're in this series where uh <laughs> we basically asked you guys to give us all of your questions, right? So like we just said anything is on the table. We'll answer anything. We tried to answer everything last week. We, we literally went long and still didn't cover everything in that category. And so go watch online parts one and two. Really, really important. Um, You guys have flooded us with questions. They're fantastic questions. Really, really good. And, um, and I'll just say this because I want to start the day by saying this. The premise is the same still as we dive into these questions that the goal is not to deepen our divisions, but to deepen our understanding. And we want to be really, really be really curious in our questions and humble in our questions. And, um, I want to be humble in my responses to say sometimes the answer is simply, I don't know. As a matter of fact, a lot of questions. It is, Hey, here's different views. Here's what I think. I'm not certain on anything other than Jesus. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, crucified, and risen from the dead. I think outside of that, everything is up for like curious conversation and and diving in deeper. And that's the type of humble spirit that we want to approach to this. And so, uh, with that being said, today we get into social issues. You guys threw out a bunch of questions on what we just refer to as like social issues. And so, man, yeah, it might get awkward in here today. It might get real. Nate,
1: take us away. I like that. And like Pastor said. Uh, it, the, this is not to create controversy, but to create conversations right, and so whenever you listen to today, I just want to encourage you go back, study it yourself, and if you have any questions, Pastor Todd and myself were always open to taking any questions. but I like the first question that came in this week, and the first question let 's jump right in um, is are there are we doing anything as a church to help out uh those that have been affected by the fires
0: yeah, yeah, so you know anyway the uh the, the the answer is yeah. You know what? We always find that like we're we're not equipped as a church to put a team and boots on the ground and go there and do whatever. That's just not so so what we like to do is partner with other organizations and we've done this in the past. And so um as a matter of fact, if you want to put it up on the screen, this is this is my recommendation and this is what I would do if I were you personally, is, is I would just go to Samaritans Purse. It's a fantastic organization. They are a Christian relief organization, and um, you know, what's cool about what they do is they don't just go in and help and then leave, they go in and help and stay and, and counsel and help restore. They just do a lot of really, really cool things. So if you've been wondering, if you've been watching the news, because it broke my heart because I was looking at these people who literally their entire community had been turned to ashes and now they're living in tents and my heart breaks for them. It's like, okay, what can I do? Well, clearly I'm not, it's probably not in my best interest to get in a car and drive up there. That would probably be counterproductive maybe, but um, because I don't know what I'm doing. But you know, if I can, how can I help people who are equipped and organized and know how to take care of this stuff? And so this is where we're encouraging you to go and go check that out online,
1: samaritanspurse.org. That's cool, and then like, like like Pastor said, what I love about Samaritan Purse is like that there's relief where people send in funds to help out, and that's awesome, but they stay there and help rebuild people's homes and help restore people's lives. So if you can, go to SamaritanPurse.org and give there. All right, second question, Pastor Todd, what does the Bible say about interracial marriage?
0: Nothing, nothing, other than Moses married an Ethiopian
1: woman, I think, which is where you're from. That's right. Maybe there's... Some Moses in your bloodline somewhere. I'm, I am connected to the Queen of Sheba directly, Ancestry.com, 100%. percent 23 and Me. Are you? did you really do that or no? I, I'd be a waste of my time, man. You're pure-blooded Eritrean. <laughs> pure-blooded, bro. But you could have some Moses somewhere. I am shocked that people actually even, like, talk about interracial marriage as if it's something.
0: Well, I think maybe there's just a curious question to it, and I think, I think from the scriptures what you would say is no. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible, uh, I, I think kind of eludes this idea that, especially when you get to the New Testament, it's made very, very clear. Because what people did was they looked at the Old Testament, and the Old Testament, when the Israelites were coming into Israel, or into the promised land, what God said was, is don't go marry these foreign women right? And so what, What? but he describes why he goes, I don't want you as as a Jewish people intermingling yourself with these foreign women and their false gods. And so there's this sense of not, it's not about race or ethnicity or nationality. It's, it's not about that. It's about that. These people had very, very different worldviews, very, very different customs and religious ideas. And he's like, I don't want you mingling these things together. And so I think people took that idea and said, Oh, maybe you're not supposed to marry. And that's like, no, that was for them back then as a nation, moving into the promised land. As a matter of fact, by the time you get to the New Testament... Paul destroys racial barriers, right? And I think as Christ followers, we should be the destroyers of racial barriers. I think we should be leading the way. I think if there's, if there's a, a hint of racism in your heart, you should challenge the heck out of that, that you should do everything that you can to seek God, to purge that out of your heart, to, to really challenge why that's in there and where that came from. Because when you read the Apostle Paul, he goes, no, 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 we're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no male nor female. There's no Jew nor Gentile. He gets into even in a different one, like there's no barbarian or this one. Or it, it, there's no, God has destroyed the those racial boundaries. And so as Christ followers, I think we need to lead the way in there. So, uh, you know, that's my thing. I think, I think if you, there were a principle, what you would go back to is, is okay, certainly nothing in, in race, but the principle from, uh, from the old Testament would be, should I align myself and marry and hitch my wagon to somebody who has very different beliefs than I do? And I think that's
1: a very, very valid question. That's a great point. Good answer, man. All right. Question number two, is it okay for a Christian? to smoke marijuana.
0: <laughs> Whoever's
1: um, laughing, I, I, I got you. That's I,
0: nervous laughter right that's there. That's nervous
1: laughter. <laughs> it's a good question i mean now that it's legal is it okay for a christian to See, smoke marijuana back
0: in the day when i was asked this question uh years and years ago it would have been easy for a pastor to say hey look it's illegal you need to honor the the laws of the land the bible teaches as much especially you, you look at romans 13 or different things like this no you honor the law of the land well the law of the land has changed todd and what do you know what do you think now and uh There's a lot of nervous laughter down there How do you, there's some kind of laughter Happy laughter. Happy laughter. Happy. Um, so he, here's, here's, my, here's my issue. Because I, I had a dear, dear friend come to me. And he's an older guy. And he had battled some cancer and come through and whatever. And he said, Pastor, I, I just need to know. He goes, I've tried this. I've tried this. I've tried this. I've tried everything the doctor gave me. He goes, they, they did recommend medicinal marijuana. And it's the only thing that gives me any relief and helps me sleep at night. Because, But I feel like. Maybe I'm dishonoring God. What do I do? And he was, he was genuinely torn. And so my answer, Nate, would simply be this. I think there's a legitimate difference between that which is medicinal in its purpose, right, and that which is recreational in its purpose, right? So if you're just going to get stoned and, and go watch, you know, um, well, you know, go, go watch your favorite TV show, Hi. No, I find that problematic. I think recreational marijuana is bad. Cause it's, it's the same idea of, of drunkenness, right? There's an intoxication to your system. And so the, the Bible says, no, drunkenness is not good. And here's why. And so I would say you got to lump it in that same category that you don't go out to go get drunk just to get drunk or go get high just to get high. And in doing so, dishonor God, dishonor yourself, make stupid and foolish decisions. I, I think that would be incredibly unwise. I would say that if it's for really medicinal purposes, because here's, here's, here's the problem. And I've heard people like disagree with that. And I'm like, well, yeah, but here's the issue. The other stuff that the doctor's putting you on is just as bad, if not worse. So really what you end up choosing between now is a lesser of two evils. Does that make sense? Like neither none of them are good. Here's what I want. I want God to heal you. I want God to restore your body. I want you to live the most abundant life possible. But if we're having to choose between a lesser of two evils and it's purely for medicinal purposes, then I think that's put something that you weigh out between you and the Lord and your conscience and that you handle that with the utmost of wisdom.
1: Great answer. Come on. That deserves a hand clap. Great, great, great answer. Okay, next question. What does the Bible say about cursing? Cursing. And, and I think the way it was
0: written was like dropping F-bombs type, type, right. yelling, screaming, while and out, or cursing like that. And so um, here's, I, I think that's a real question. I, I think it's a real question because we had a friend of ours that came over from South Africa and man, they came over and were dropping words and we were like. Dang! Up in staff meeting, you just going to say that? And what, what we learned was is that in South Africa, that's not a cuss word to them.
1: No, it's a different culture. Like using certain words, I can't say it here. Yeah, we're <laughs> but, not gonna, we're, we won't say it right. But, but certain words just mean have a different meaning to it, uh, and so yeah, we were like, yeah. "Hey,
0: bro, man, you're really you know." And they were like, "What are you talking about?" They literally were like, "No idea." And for them, that wasn't a, a, a considered a cuss word. And, and I think what you watch this, watch this, watch this. There's a cool scripture. It's Ephesians chapter four. Uh, Verse 29 says, no, let uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so I think there's this sense of like never, ever, ever use words to demean and belittle and hurt other people. That's a no. Like we don't use our words to hurt other people. That's a big no. I would say, though, that if you're if you're using it, like let's say you're you're hammering something and it slips, and you're alone, and it's just you and Jesus, I doubt very seriously God's going to be like, Go hey, snap. language over there. But, but I think what it, what it draws to is a greater issue of, you know, I want to represent Christ well. Right. So if I want to represent Christ well, then given the culture that I'm in and the setting that I'm in, I want to be mindful that, hey, I'm representing Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul said you are ambassadors of Christ. So, so take that word ambassador the way we use it now. And it was, it was a similar idea there that we're going somewhere else on behalf of the king and country, right? We're going somewhere on behalf of the kingdom. And so I want to represent Christ well. And so you would never, ever use those words to hurt another people, but I think you also want to be careful not to use words to misrepresent Christ or to to lower um, what people think of you or, you know, ah, that guy's kind of crass or that guy's, you know, that guy's low class or that guy, you're representing Christ. So do so with the utmost of, 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 of wisdom and being careful
1: in those environments. Does that make sense? No, that makes total sense. The Bible says to let your goodness not be even spoken of. Uh, there's always a cloud of people to always watch what you do. And as a Christian, I just think it's important not to go out there and just uh, uh, just say whatever because there's people that are watching you. And, and for me, I always feel like I'm always r- surrounded by people uh, that I think I need to be the example for. And so for that reason, I personally don't curse unless I'm watching the Niners game. So yeah, yeah. it's just
0: yeah if you yeah. if your greatest goal is to draw other people to Christ then you have to ask yourself is this helping or hurting my cause and and I think you know again that's usually the answer is going to be no it's not helping you
1: all right next question um is it wrong for a Christian to gamble
0: man uh you know what the Pastor says, as long as you tithe, I don't care. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm joking. That was funny though. I uh, was a joke. You know what? Honestly, because um, like I remember as a young man, uh like starting to like play cards and play poker and really enjoy it. And I remember, do I remember we were having like, okay, don't tell nobody this, but well, we were when we were young as youth pastors, we were having like a little five five dollar buy in poker tournament at, at my house, and then all of a sudden it was like, well, let's make it ten. And then it was, Hey, let's make it 20. And then all of a sudden it turned into a cash game. And it was like, dudes are getting mad at each other. I'm like, okay, we've missed the point. And I shut it down. Cause I'm like, this is terrible. The guys are getting mad or angry or, you know, coming over. And I just felt like there's something, there's something off about it. And so I guess my point would be this. There's a scripture where Paul says, Hey, look, all things are lawful, but not everything is profitable. Now that's a great statement. I'm going to say it again. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And so this is where we begin to ask ourselves a question like, okay, uh, can I do it? Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no like, thou shalt not gamble. Or, or then you gotta ask but is it wise to do it? And for so many people, the answer is absolutely no. And we know people have gambling addictions, and we know people are gambling away like grocery money and diaper money, and they're, they're losing their savings, and it's, it's pure foolishness, and it's, and it's harmful and hurtful. And we know that it can, it can be destructive. And if you've ever had a family member that had a gambling addiction, you know it can be destructive. And so I think because of that, you have to be incredibly careful. But, you know, again, I think there's a balance point that says, hey, is, is it lawful, though? And, and if it's something that I do, you know— once a year, I go and play the slots in Vegas or Reno or what. You know, that, that there's a difference between that and I, finding that balance point is so tricky. So I would say always err on the side of caution and wisdom. So even though it is lossful, ask yourself the question: Is it wise? It's a
1: great answer because, like, I think we, we as Christians sometimes we're always trying to find out: Is it wrong? Is it right? Yeah. But is it wise? Is a great way to look at it because you're right. Gambling is not in the Bible. Uh, So crack cocaine is not in the Bible and sniffing hairspray. And the truth (laughs) is, you just have to ask yourself, is it wise? Amen. And so that's a great answer. All right. Next question. What do you think about Christians adopting practices from other beliefs like meditation, acupuncture, palm reading, horoscopes, and yoga?
0: Man, that's a lot. Well, I mean, meditation. I think you should meditate. I think you should have like a prayerful, scriptural meditation. That's that's my take on that. So meditation's good. meditation doesn't have to be the crossing of your legs in the in the, um, oh, you know, like that's. The, I think, go read Psalms 1. He's like, meditate on the law day and night. Meditate on God's instructions. So there's a there's a part of meditation that's really, really good. I think the other ones, you can cross over into a realm of goofiness is what I would really say. And just be cautious. I would say, again, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And I think you will cross the line. Well, let me give you an example. Somebody, we were talking about this in a small group. And they were talking about yoga, right? And so, you know, for example, like, uh, they were like, yeah, but certain things. And you will. I've seen yoga people that are. They believe something different. They're trying to tap into something different. You know, they're they're namaste and the lights. I, I, they're into something, right? But it's not biblical. And so because of that, I don't want to open myself up or expose myself to some type of spiritual goofiness that I don't really uh, believe in or don't feel like is good or healthy. But then at the same time, bless God, you can't take stretching from me. You know what I'm saying? I'm a redeemed stretching. Upward dog, that's just ab stretch. That's all that is you can't take that from me bless god and so you know to what do, so my point would be this if you did certain things that were that were like again purely physical exercise stretching versus taking your mind and trying to move it into some spiritual place i think there's a difference there and so i think you want to be cautious be careful and you want to use wisdom look into this stuff like study it out figure it out ask good questions like i don't i can i don't know what acupuncture is aren't they poking you with needles it, hurts. it just sounds like no, i don't want you to poke me with needles okay Maybe that's just my common sense speaking. Don't poke me with needles. Uh, palm reading, that's definitely a goofiness thing there. Um, I, I, let me give you a scripture. I'll give you an interesting scripture here. There's another one in Isaiah, but I'll give you one out of Deuteronomy. It says this. It says, let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire. Well, that's, that's really good to know. Who, because uh, sometimes your kids drive you so crazy, you're like, maybe if I just no. burn them a little, you know, whatever. Uh, so, but this is, this is it right here. Who practices divination or sorcery, who interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist or who consults the dead. And so uh, let no one be found among you. And if you read the scriptures before this and after this, you just get this really, really clear thing that God's trying to protect you from certain spiritual elements that are ungodly. And so the answer is... again, use wisdom, uh, use caution. There are certain things that are a definite no. There are certain things that maybe you seek out and
1: and discern better. That's good. In fact, my daughter came from school the other day said they took recess away from them because of the pollution. And she said, Daddy, look at me. She said, look at my hand and look at my... My feet are like this. She goes. I'm a tree. I learned that. I, I learned that in yoga this morning. Oh wow! So she's being homeschooled now. Well, I took l- her out of school. L- l- no, I'm kidding now. But she <laughs> she's.
0: <laughs> let Let me jump into one more thing because I think I was thinking about these questions and I was thinking, you know what. What I think would be really, really helpful for you to know is, is how to approach these things. You know, Nate, you said it good either. Sometimes we're saying, is it okay for, her? does the Bible say it's okay? Can a Christian, and we're maybe, we're maybe asking the wrong question. We should start with probably the question, is it wise? Uh, what does God want for my life? There's good questions to ask there. But I think one of the things that you want to do when you approach these things is this, is, is, is don't think religiously, think relationally. Let me say it again. Don't, when you approach these things, don't think religiously. Don't get into the, well, is it do, is it do or don't? Is it yes or no? Is it, is it, you know, it, it, think relationally. You know, God, Jesus describes God as incredibly relational, right? So God's like, no, God's, I'm a good shepherd and you're a sheep. That's relational, right? God is a, a father and he's not just like a father, like, like Darth Vader's father, like, 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 he's like dad and Abba. those like Papa. That kind of like, no, he's personal, he's relational. Jesus said one another one, or another one that goes like this. He goes, I'm the true vine and you're the branch. That is incredibly relational. Like, you're grafted in, you're a part, you're connected. And so always be thinking relationally, not religiously. And so sometimes you ask, you ask yourself this question like, what would my dad want? How would I best honor my father? How can I best walk with, you know, does that make sense? Like, how can I stay close to God? How can I stay connected relationally? So when you ask these questions, start with that in mind even too. Like, no, no, I don't want to, I don't have to approach these things all religiously. Like God's got some rule book and he's just, no. And they, and if you make a mistake, there's, there's grace. There's there's room for repentance and forgiveness. So just so begin to think and act relationally Not so much religiously. That's so
1: good. Some of you guys should tweet that. Think relationally, (laughs) not so religiously. In fact, so you're saying I can go to Panda Express and open up a fortune cookie. I can read it. I'm okay then. Sure. Good. All right. Awesome. Next question. I don't know that I would trust, you know, it's not thou shalt or thou say it the They're always saying encouraging things. Are they? like, oh yeah, you're amazing. Your best days ahead of you. <laughs> Five, seven, see. 11, 12, 34, 34. Oh, there's, there's lottery numbers. I don't in know. There. I'm just saying, I didn't it's, even what I heard. Know. it's what I heard. It's so. what I heard. Now we know, Nate. All right. So we've had the incredible opportunity of having Pastor Shane Willard come here so many times. He's so wise and he has so many great things to say. So we asked him a few questions. I want you guys to check out the screen to see Shane Willard to answer some of our questions.
0: Hey, everybody. We're back. Week three of our series called You Asked For It. It's me and my good friend, Shane, while they're hanging out in what looks like a TBN studio, but it's not. It's a coffee shop. Uh, Thank you so much for for being a part of this series, for sending in your questions. We're so thrilled to be able just to connect with you. So here's a great relationship question. Can't wait to hear your take on this. Shane, is there one perfect person for everyone? Or can you just marry anyone and make it work?
2: No and no. (laughs) So no there 's not just one perfect person, but no, you cannot marry just anyone to make it work. Actually, the University of Washington did the largest marriage study ever done, and they said that the number one predictor of of a happy marriage is lack of volatility and that seems obvious but but they said even if you 're compatible in other ways, if your highs are too high or your lows are too low, eventually that marriage is a disastrous marriage, even if it doesn 't divorce. Because your body is seeking homeostasis. Is anything that's a volatile. Is it, so, so when I, you know, when people say, Oh, my daughter's dating a non-Christian guy, you know? Gosh, you know, and they're panicking. And I'm like, well, really? Like, is he kind? Well, yes. Does he have integrity? Yes. Is he hardworking? Yeah. Is he good with money? Yes. Is he non-volatile? Yes. Well, because you can go from that to Christian in one second, yeah. but you can't go from Christian to not a jerk that fast. There's a lot of Christian jerks. And so the the predictor of happy marriage is not whether you're Christian or not. The predictor of happy marriage is if, is if you're non-volatile and live at peace. And so the question would be, Can you live in true non-volatility with every person? Zero chance. Can you live in true non-volatility with only one person? No, there's several. Gotcha. Love
0: it. All right, Shane, next question. What is God's view on divorce?
2: This is a 58-minute discussion. Discussion. That if you want a full discussion on it, it's in my Sermon on the Mount series. Because I feel like in answering a question like this in three minutes, it could do a disservice. And there'll be something i have to leave out because the full discourse on it's 58 minutes long. Um, but essentially, in Jesus' day, there was two thoughts on divorce. And the problem with it is in the Bible, in Jesus' day, there was only one rule on divorce. One in the whole of the Bible. Which leads to all kinds of questions about how, you know, how big of a tragedy this is to God. But The, the idea that um, in Deuteronomy 24, it says, if you find any unclean thing in your spouse, you can give them a certificate of divorce. That's it. That is the one rule in the whole Bible of Jesus' day that Jesus had to deal with. Now the problem with that is, is that the phrase, any unclean thing, well, well, that could be anything. And so the rabbis were, had to deal with the whole, what does that mean? And so Hillel, a big rabbi in Jesus' day, Hillel had an a, um, a interpretation of that, and he just called it any reason, any cause. So, so you could divorce for even burning bread um, under the yoke of Hillel. And he didn't encourage that, but he just said, to, to his fairness, he just said, I can't make that say more than it says Right? Shammai said, he was the other big rabbi. Shemai said, no, it's gotta be marital and faithfulness. Um, but Shemai defined marital and faithfulness not as adultery, as it gets commonly defined now, although adultery was included in it. Shemai's interpretation of marital and faithfulness was anytime either person broke their basic agreement in an unrepentant pattern. Right? So to show marital unfaithfulness. You had to do three things. You had to have a one-on-one confrontation, a two-on-one confrontation, and then a spiritual leaders-on-one confrontation, which sounds vaguely like Matthew 18. And so when they asked Jesus, and think about the wording of their question, Jesus, will you allow us to divorce for any reason, any cause? That's essentially just saying, do you agree with Hillel? Because there was a debate between Hillel and Shema. And they're asking Jesus to solve the debate. And anytime they ask Jesus his opinion between Hillel and Shammai, he always agreed with Hillel. All, because Hillel was the more liberal, the more God loves everybody. You know. um, uh, but not, not here. Uh, this is the one exception. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Um, it needs to be marital and faithfulness. Um, um, you need to show that somebody is breaking their basic agreement in an unrepentant pattern. Not just an arbitrary, I think this, but one on one, two on one another the principle would be do everything you can do, and at the end of everything you can do if if you need to move on, move on um, and so because um, we got to remember too that um, in the Old Testament, God is presented as a divorced God, so God marries Israel, and then in Isaiah, Ezra, and Jeremiah, it says, "I had to give Israel." A certificate of divorce because of her unfaithfulness, and so and so Matthew uh, Matthew in Malachi when when it gets quoted a lot, God says, "I hate divorce." But the context of Malachi is he was going through one, and anybody going through a divorce hates it. And so, before people say, "Oh, divorced and remarried people can't preach here," or whatever, um, well, just be careful because. You're asking for the presence of a divorced and remarried God every Sunday. So you've got to be careful with these things. And remember, we are called to fulfill Scripture, not be right about one verse. So the fulfillment of Scripture is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Our response when somebody is going through a divorce should simply be, I'm so sorry. I'm just really sorry you're going through that. Um, If I can help you, I will. And unless we're willing to walk through every step of that process, we should probably, with that person, we should probably keep our mouth shut entirely, other than empathy. I'm sorry.
0: Awesome. Well, that is a wrap on today. Make sure you get back in here next week, and we will go at this again with Pastor Shane Willard.
1: Awesome. Come on. Give Shane a hand clap, guys. That was awesome. All right. You know, let me just say something
0: real yeah. quick here, because somebody was like, I, I, I don't want you to confuse, uh, like Pastor Shane's just a friend of mine. Um, I don't know that I agree with Shane about every single thing, but I love getting another person's take on it. Does that make sense? And I've loved his answers so far. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed his answers. But I just want you to know, like, he's just another voice. I just wanted to give you, and and you're going to hear me talk about this in a little bit too. Like, it's great to hear other opinions. It's great to hear opposing ideas. It's great to hear what another viewpoint is and then to weigh it all out. I think that is incredibly healthy and good. And so Shane is not a pastor here on staff. He's just a friend of mine. I thought it'd be fun to break up me answering questions and give you somebody
1: else's perspective. So that's why Pastor Shane is doing this. All right. Awesome. Now, look, Pastor Kyle, we have only so much time. and okay. So the next few questions, in fact, the first, the next three questions, I actually want to do a rapid fire with you real quick. So I want you to answer these questions as quickly as you can, but with as much uh, insight as you can give it. Okay. So here we go. First question is, how do you deal with difficult people that you cannot avoid like a mother-in-law? A- avoid it's my them. wife in here. Yeah, do you want to answer that? No, nah, man, because my mother-in-law is here now, and I thought I knew the answer, but I don't. So, <laughs> My mother-in-law lives in Texas, and so I just don't run into many
0: issues because, well, she lives hundreds of miles away. And so I, I would say this. Look, anytime you can, um, if you find a person, and this, this is really anybody, if you find somebody that's just contentious and your relationship is contentious, the Bible has this idea with, with, with Scripture that says this, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Okay. Let me say that again. As much as it depends on you, which means it doesn't completely depend on you, but part of it does depend on you. Live at peace with everybody. As 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 far as it depends on you, means it's possible, but it might be impossible. And so, literally, sometimes the best way to to avoid to do it is just to avoid. Like if you have a truly contentious person, just to avoid them as much as you possibly can. It, there there's something to like being cordial and being kind. I'll tell you this: this is something that's benefited me when I go to be around people that I think are contentious. I prepare myself in advance, like all right, Todd, you're gonna be around so and so take a deep breath. It's all good. You're not going to argue. You're not going to debate. You're not going to lose your anger. And you ask for the Holy Spirit's help and strength and guidance to do that. And then, and then I think there's also some, um, there, there's one more biblical principle. I'll give you this. And it's, it's, Jesus was sending his disciples out to preach the gospel. He knew they would run into some difficult situations. And so he gives them this wisdom, which is at first glance sounds weird, but I'll, I'll unpack it quickly. He says this, he goes, go and be as wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. And I think those are the two things that you do. Because for them, a serpent, they always use the Old Testament as like a as, as a way to define terms and ideas and images. So the serpent was the, the character from Genesis chapter three, and it was said that the serpent was cunning, right? And so his idea was is like, no, be cunning, be crafty, be thoughtful, premeditate, think, be strategic, have great timing, right? That's what a serpent does, right? A serpent has coils and has incredible timing. And that's what you want to do. So like when you deal with difficult people, be thoughtful. Like don't 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 just say anything, be like, okay, I'm going to be careful not to upset them or not to touch a hot button topic, or I'm going to be careful with my, I'm going to be thoughtful. I'm going to be strategic. And then also I'm going to be as harmless as a dove. Again, a dove was an innocent, humble sacrifice, right? It wasn't even the big sacrifice. It was like the I'm broke sacrifice. And so, you know, it was, it was this idea of, you know, to be humble, be pure of heart, be innocent, but then be strategic at the same time. And so anytime you have to deal with contentious people, that's a great, the other last one is this, this is another principle I live by. Whenever I deal with a contentious person, always err on the side of grace. Like, cause I'm going to stand before God one day and I'd rather God be like, yeah, you were too kind to them. Yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather that be my fault. So just always err on the side of grace.
1: Okay. Reminder rapid fire.
0: That was sorry, slow. Sorry. fire.
1: That was, it's too hard. Lord. All right. Next one. How do you know, um, how do you know to give to needy friends or family? Whew.
0: Okay. That's yeah. Thank one. you. Rapid fire. Appreciate that. Um, I, I would say, okay, so I'm assuming you got like a family member who's, who's maybe broke or hurting uh, financially and that they're asking you for money. Um, I think, I, I think there's, well, there's a great scripture. I think it's in Galatians as well. It says this, it says that each, that we should carry each other's burdens. Right. But then in like five verses later, it says, but each man must carry his own load. Right. So carry each other's burdens, but each one must carry his own load. And so the principle would be this. A a, a burden would be something that happened to them that they cannot handle on their own. And as Christians, we want to help and love one another through the burdens of life. But then five verses later says each one must carry his own load, which means this. You should be able to take care of your responsibilities. Does that make sense? Like, whatever is your responsibility, that's yours. That's not mine. You need to handle that. And so I would say if it's a burden, we step in and help. If it's their responsibility that they've neglected, Maybe we don't help, and maybe we we weigh that out prayerfully and consider what do we do. Because I think there's a difference between helping people that genuinely need help or enabling people who are irresponsible, and sometimes helping people that are irresponsible, although it feels unloving in the moment, it might be the best thing long-term for them. And that's
1: incredibly hard, especially if you're a parent, because I've seen it on firsthand. That's a great answer. In fact, this might go hand-in-hand with this next question. How do you cope as a parent with a child with addiction? Yeah, it does go hand in hand. Where do you help versus where do you enable?
0: Um, where, where do you draw lines and boundaries? And, and man, it is so tough. And so my answer is you do so uh, with the, the, the utmost of prayerfulness. With the, uh, I would say this, get get counsel and accountability because you are blinded as a parent. You just need to know that, right? You, you see your kids and feel a way about your kids that you, you can't fully be objective. So you bring in really godly, wise parents Maybe they've been through it. Maybe they haven't, but they're good, godly, wise parents. And ask them for help because you're not objective anymore. And, and what is best for the child is, I think, what you care about the most. But sometimes, again, it's so easy. I, again, I had, I had a, a, a situation where I'd seen parents, people that I was very close to, enabling a, an addicted kid. And, and in my mind, I was thinking they're prolonging this kid from from actually maybe maturing or growing or hitting rock bottom or coming to a point of repentance. And so I, I, it's so tough, though. And knowing when to help and when to withdraw help is so sensitive. And so be prayerful and then bring in counsel because you're not clearly objective.
1: Okay, awesome. We can slow it down now. Okay, here we go. This is a great question. Anybody single here? Raise your hands if you're single. Look at each other. Y'all can start dating, right? Now. Okay, so listen. <laughs> what does the Bible say about dating? Nothing. There's, I don't think there's anything on dating because
0: dating is new. You ever thought about that? Like dating's new. Do you know what people did for the bulk of human history? Arranged marriages, not courting. Courting's even relatively, it was arranged marriages. Pace, yeah. Nate, you come from East Africa. You, you've grown up with this. They still, I did. So like yeah. my, my
1: mother was um, young and she was arranged to my father. In fact, all my uh, uncles and aunts were arranged. My all the way parents, back to Moses. My parents are, for <laughs> the Viking over here. So the, um, my, my, my parents have been married 44 years. 44 my aunt has been married 39 years um I, it's what does the bible say about dating i mean no
0: i think there's some great principles to live by though and i think the bible yeah. is full of wisdom and so this is this is what i typically teach um so again the bible doesn't say like you know how to date it does, there's no manual on how to date and and dating because it's relatively new i think for the most part we stink at it and so uh we we've morphed into this kind of club mentality you know where we go and just find the hottest person in the club, or, well, he's got a job, I guess. You, or, you can know, tell Pastor Todd has different... not dated
1: in a long time. <laughs> we have this thing called online now, Pastor Todd, right? Where you can meet people online, but go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. It's a good thing. He's married to a wonderful woman. Don't y'all love Terri Lee? We love you. That's true. So you can go online. To... So, so great. Let's, let's go back to biblical principle though.
0: Here's what, here's what I teach. I teach something called the four C's. And I've taught this before publicly. So the four C's are simply this. There are four criteria that you would use When, when figuring out whom you're going to date. Does that make sense? The number one is this. The number one is character. That's the first C. So before you, before you start dating anybody seriously, you want to examine their character. Are they honest? Are they integrous? Um, how do they treat their parents? Like, do they, are are they trustworthy? Does does that make sense? There's all these character attributes that you're looking to. And the reason why I think that is because when you look at the book of Proverbs in particular, Solomon sets down criteria for who you engage with or even how you have your business dealings or contracts with. And there's always an element of character character and integrity. Well, marriage is the highest type of right social contract. It's, it's something even deeper than that. And so you would always make sure that somebody is the utmost of character. The second C is Christ. And so I think you always want to make sure that you're, you're very much aligning yourself with somebody who shares your belief in Christ and love for Christ and devotion to Christ. Because if that's not there, just trust me, I've been doing 10 years of marriage counseling, it creates uh, arguments, it creates division down the road. If you find somebody, even if they're a really, really good person but they don't, they don't love God, no God honor God with their life. You're going to come to these, these kind of fork in the road moments where you, you believe this and they believe this, and you're just going to be at a a sharp disagreement. So that's number two. And they're both non-negotiable. Now, the reason why I put character above Christ is because they're both non-negotiable. How do I put this kindly? I know Christians who believe in Jesus, but don't have good, strong moral character. Does that make sense? So it's not like, oh, they're a Christian, so that makes it okay. No, it don't. They might believe in Jesus and be crazy. Can I get an amen? Anybody out there? Yeah, yeah, Don't look at your spouse right now, but... Um so so my point is, is that character is a non-negotiable because you have to live with this person for the rest of your life, right? And, and I know too many stories and I don't have time to tell them that, that people that were like confessing in Christ and following Jesus, but then they got married and the spouse was like, what? And then all of a sudden, like weird stuff's coming out of the closet. And so, you know, I would say that. So number three is commonality. So the four C's, you have uh, character, Christ. Number three is commonality. Um, I used to think this wasn't a big deal. The more I marriage counsel, or the counsel, the more I think it is a big deal. Commonality simply means this. We both see the world the same way want the same things in life, maybe even share share similar hobbies or desires or things like that. When you get two people, even if they're both high character and both love Jesus, if you don't have a lot in common, sometimes that can make the relationship more stale. So there needs to be some mutual enjoyment and friendship and doing life together. That's important. And then lastly is uh, it's cuteness.
1: That's great. No, I I wish uh, cuteness. (laughs) It's
0: true. I I was going to say attraction, but then you're like, I have three C's and an A. C, C,
1: C, A. That sounds
0: stupid, right? So you just could say four C's, acuteness. So there does need to be a level of, of physical attraction and, and, you know, that, that kind of a thing. But again, that's got to kind of further down the list, obviously. So that's why I teach. And I think the Bible supports that principled approach to how you date. And just again, what is the wise thing to do? Be, be, be
1: wise. I think that's great advice. I wish, I wish you could just give somebody a personality test and like a, if I'm going to date someone, I'll be like. Hey, put date. them on like a lie detector yeah, test. Yeah, lie detector. When you, when you get hired somewhere, they put you in a, such a big vetting process. You're going to spend the rest of your life with somebody. Might as well. Yeah. Never mind. That's just my perception. <laughs> uh, should, a, should a Christian date or marry another person from another religion?
0: Well, I think we, we answered that already. Yeah. I mean, I think the answer is no. And this goes wise, back you know? to Israel. This goes. Paul has a Paul has a quote where he talks about not being unequally yoked with mm-hmm. an unbeliever. Like you have to look at marriage as as a a, a joining of two souls, and so you're not. What, he goes on to say this: What what fellowship does light have with darkness? And so again, there's this concept of like, no, they believe something differently. It's going to create too much friction, too much problem, and then God and His His love and wisdom for you says, no, don't don't do that. It's not going to be
1: good. Well, equally, if somebody is here and they're married to somebody that is a a different religion, what would you say to them?
0: Oh, that you know, Paul addresses that. So he basically says, hey, look, man, if, they, if you love each other, just, just keep walking together. That's basically it. And Paul says something really, really odd. It, it almost breaks with other traditional doctrines that you would think about. But he basically says this. He goes, hey, look, if they'll love you and they're not, they're not trying to get rid of you, stay with them, love them, because you never know what, what good you can do in their life. And it basically says something like this. You'd have to go read it for yourself. It basically says something like this. And who knows? Maybe they will be saved by your faith. What? And, you know, that, and that kind of seems to break with other Christian teachings. And so uh, interpret that however you will. I, I would just say that, yeah, if you're married to an unbeliever, love them. Love them completely. Honor them. Um,
1: be an incredible wife. Be an incredible husband. And in doing so, show them the love of God through you. Great answer, man. All right, uh, next question. This is a deep question. Is homosexuality a sin?
0: Okay, so um, the answer, uh, the simple answer is Yes. And it's 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 so here's the deal. And I always try to do this. I always try to like don't be a prisoner of your generation. Right. Like don't be a prisoner of your generation. So I grew up in a church where it was always taught that no homosexuality is a sin homosexuality is a sin homosexuality is a sin. And it was I think done very very poorly. And then you have other people who are brought up, maybe if you if you grew up not a Christian, then, then it's easy to say, no, homosexuals, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. And both of us, I think, are maybe being a prisoner of the moment, a prisoner of our own generation. Does that make sense? Like you can see throughout history that generations believe certain things were okay, and it was kind of like in the water and in the culture, and we all just bought into it. And, and I think the, the big point would be this. Be a thinker. And so what I did was is I thought, okay, I've got these different people. Like I had a I had a funny enough, this is this is a weird story. My youth pastor when I was a kid, it came out that he was gay, and the church kicked him out, and then he went and and found a church that was celebrating homosexuality, not just okay, but just like celebrating it. And I remember messaging him and he never responded to me, but I'm like, Hey, this is my struggle. I hear what you're saying. But how do you then resolve these certain specific scriptures that seem to be very, very clear? Because I said, either you have to interpret those differently than I understand, and I would love to hear your take on it, or you have to just disregard them. And I, I, I need to know, like, what you're doing. And she wouldn't respond. And so I decided, well, I'm going to go find out what, what is the, what is the, the Christian homosexual say, and what are they advocating? And basically what they do is, um, there's about five specific scriptures that deal directly with homosexuality. Okay, and and they're all negative in nature. Does that make sense? They all have some type of no. It's a sin, or it's wrong, or it's bad, or it's evil, or it's, 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 there's some type of negative connotation with it. And and what they do, they literally is is they try to do some type of verbal gymnastics with the language to try to milk everything out of it. So let, let me give, let me give you one of them. Okay, I'll just give you one. We're not going to spend a ton of time, but this is what it says in Corinthians. So this is one of the five, and it says this. It says, "Or do you not know?" that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God and don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers of men, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And and so this idea of men having sex with men, it's actually two different words that are used here. One of them is a word that literally, literally means like soft or effeminate. And then the next word means, it's literally a word I think Paul made up or it was a nuanced word of their day. Um, you know how we use words in a way that like weren't used even 50 years ago? Like we say say gay, right? 50 years ago, if you said I'm gay, you're like, well, I'm just having a gay old time.
1: Happy, yeah.
0: Isn't that in a Merry Christmas song? Yeah. Yeah, gay I think so. old time. I don't know. Anyway. Oh. Was that the Flintstones? Yeah. That is not a Christmas song. And so uh, yeah, don't take everything I say as gospel. Everybody do your own research. So anyway, um, so it's, it, but it's literally a word that means man better. It was almost like he took man in bed and put him against man bedders. So anyway, in, in Romans, it says this Leviticus 18 is is actually an interesting one. If you go read Leviticus 18, it's it's basically the Jewish law, and it's the entire chapter is on sex. (laughs) Like the whole thing is, this is how you do sex. This is how you not, or this is how you don't do sex. And out of that, I think 18, 19 things that are listed, even to this day, we adhere and acknowledge and are thumbs up on it. I think out of the, out of the 19, we're thumbs up on 17 of those things. Cause even culture, because when they said it back then, it would have been like radical, Hey, don't have sex with this. What you you mean? What? And they would have been radical legislation for them to, to like take sexuality and, and define it as holy and is sacred and is something between marriage. And then, so, so anyway, and then last thing I'll give you this, is that there's no, that there's no pro-homosexual couple in the Bible or or anything that leads to it. And when Jesus is asked about, so Jesus never addresses homosexuality, but he does address uh, men and women. And this is in, I think, Matthew chapter 18. He basically defines marriage for you. So if you ever wondered, okay, what does the Bible actually teach? I can't get away from the fact that the Bible teaches that marriage is meant to be between a man and a woman. Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said there's basically two options. It's marriage between a man and a woman or celibacy. That's what Jesus said. So he doesn't define homosexuality. He just defines what marriage looks like. I think where the church has gone really, really wrong is let me go back and read some of this stuff. Right. So Paul is talking about homosexuals. But then he says this sexually immoral. That means any sexual deviance. Then he says idolaters. You ever put anything in your life ahead of God? Adulterers. I know a few um, thieves. Yep. I've stolen stuff before. Uh, greedy. Yep, that's probably in my heart. Sometimes, if not a lot of that drunkards. Well, slanderers, I mean, like, the point I would make is this, is I think the church has done something really, really poorly by making homosexuality super sin. So is it a sin? Yeah, but a bunch of stuff is sin. Like, the Bible talks way more about gluttony. It's the truth. Yeah. Way, and, and think about this, because this is, this is the other thing, too. I remember I had, this, I had this buddy of mine who said this to me. And I want you to listen to the language. This is what he said to me. He said, "He said, Pastor, man, I have, uh, I have struggled with something my entire life. Um, I feel like I was this way since as far back as I can remember. I struggled with it as a child. Um, I've tried to shake this off my life. I've, I've sought help and professional help. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried to shake this thing off my life. And I just can't do it. And his issue was not homosexuality. It was obesity. Now, doesn't that language sound incredibly similar? So the idea that I can't control my food intake or I can't control my sexual urges, like I I guess when I was young, it was easy to say, yep, bad. This, good. And it was like, it was so black and white. And the older you get, I think the more hopefully um, wisdom and perspective you get on this, which is this. Um, These are people who have a, a legitimate struggle and I should be incredibly compassionate towards that. And if you and th- think about if it was your kid who had that struggle, start being compassionate. Does that make Because you don't know? Because I've never had to say, hey, I've got this sexual desire that seems to contradict what the Bible says is good and right. What do I do? I've never I've never had that. And so I think we should be incredibly patient, incredibly empathetic, incredibly kind, because at the end of the day, when Jesus says, hey, you need to love your neighbor that included your gay neighbor. Okay, that includes your Muslim neighbor. That includes your your black neighbor, your white neighbor. Your command is to love. Don't ever get away from that. Don't ever lose sight of that. And don't take something that... Because here's the deal, too. There's a spectrum. Obviously, Leviticus 18 speaks to this. There's a spectrum of what... There's a sexual ideal, and there's a spectrum of sexual brokenness. Does that make sense? So, like, I'm married, happily married, love my wife. We've been married for 17 years. But if I have a desire to have sex with another woman that's adultery. That's a part of my sexual brokenness. Does that make sense? For people who are, are just unable to control their sexual urges before they get married, that's a form of their sexual bro- Does that make sense? We are all on the spe- spectrum somewhere of sexual brokenness. Let's all move towards Jesus and move towards healing to the best that we can.
1: That's great. Thank you. Great, right? Um, I mean, sin should be something that you should like take action inward. Like within yourself, you should say, God, how, what can I do to... Uh, just do do what's right in your eyes, but you should never cast a stone outwardly. And I just want to encourage you guys, uh, uh, like Pastor Todd said, uh, just love all people, man. All right, final two questions. As a Christian, is there anything uh, off limits in the bedroom? Who
0: wrote that? You know, when I, that was you?
1: No, not right. me. Well,
0: you raised your hand. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm Who looking. wrote that? How funny. I just was curious if anybody would actually take it. That was me, Pastor. And then you find out they're single, you know something
1: like that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, hey, that's a real that's a real question, and I've had that asked multiple times. So that's not like don't be looking around like who's the pervert in here. Stop it. Uh, that's a real question. Uh, you love your you love your wife, you love your husband. Uh, that's the fascinating thing about sex. I still I still found this incredibly intriguing to think about. Like God designed sex. You should get your head wrapped around that. Yeah. Because uh, you know to, th- to sit around and think God was just in heaven and he was like making creation. He's like, you know what? I'm going to do this thing, you know? It was not like Adam and Eve, you know, run around naked and aren't going to figure stuff out eventually. It wasn't like God was like, oh my God, I can't believe they figured that out. God made them that way. So sex was made for procreation. It was made for intimacy and it was made to a certain degree for pleasure. And so I, I think you, you, need, you need to like get your head wrapped around your heavenly father made this junk up. You should, because here's the problem with the church. Again, we sometimes handle things very, very poorly, how we communicate things. And for a long time, In the Christian church, we kind of treated sex like it was gross. Mm -hmm. Like, ew, don't talk about it. And then the world did the opposite. It treated sex as if it were God. It made it the ultimate thing, right? Like it's, it's everything. It's the ultimate thing. It's the thing that drives so much of my life. So, so the world made it God and the church made it gross. Well, what does the Bible actually say? It's a gift. It's a gift. It's wonderful. It's great. It's fantastic. It's almost like fire though. You know what I'm saying? Like fire in a fireplace is wonderful, right? Fire cooks food and heats your water and warms your home and you get to do s'mores. I mean, it's fantastic. And then of course we know fire has incredible and we're seeing this now incredible destructive ability. I think you need to see sex that way. It's a gift. It's incredible, right? But it can be destructive if it's taken outside of its, of its proper place. So let's talk about married people. Though my answer is this: as long as as long as it doesn't make another person feel uncomfortable, I think as a married as a married couple, you got to say, "Look, I I, I want to do this or I want to try this, but are you okay with that? Are you comfortable with that? And I think you need to be careful to honor your spouse and honor their body and not do anything that would make them feel um, cheapened. Or, or uncomfortable or, or whatever. And then the other thing that I would just say is this. I do think that there is a, there is a, a biblical line that's drawn where it says, hey, most things are going to be, yeah. you know, whatever is comfortable between the two of you. I think the exception would be like, hey, I think that does exclude you don't bring anybody else into the bedroom with you. Or
1: pornography. Oh, yeah.
0: And that includes pornography. I just think we, that yeah. you would be careful of that again. Uh, Maybe it's like, hey, nobody knows. It's just between us, we both. Whatever. I would just say, be cautious. I think I think we may be abandoning wisdom, certainly to bring another human being into the bedroom. Uh, I, I think those are the things that are off limits. That's great.
1: Yeah. All right. As we wrap things up, uh, of course, like we said, thank you so much for your questions. Next week's going to be actually interesting because we're actually going to dive into the topics of heaven and hell, and we have some great questions, which I think we tons have to of afterlife answers. questions, like yeah. what's
0: heaven like, and does my pet go, and what do I get to keep my spouse, or yeah. you know, all kinds of cool stuff like yeah. that. Okay,
1: yeah. So I think it's be really good, so I encourage you guys to come back next. week. I thought we would finish on a, on, a, on a great and a fun question. Pastor Todd, we just had an election. Who did you vote for and why?
0: Man, you're killing me, dude. I, I will not take that bait. Anyway, um, let me do this. Man, I'm not telling you who I I, I did vote. I think it's important to vote. I think you should. I'm not going to tell you who I voted for, and if you notice, I don't talk about politics on purpose. It's not an accident. I do that stuff on purpose. I I think, I gotta be honest. I think when you dive too deeply into politics, you cheapen the gospel. Okay, I I think that's real. Here's, Here's what I do know too. There is no political party that best encapsulates a Christian worldview. It doesn't. Like there's some things about the Republican party that are yay and nay, and some things about the Democrats that are yay and nay. And if you're a libertarian, there's some yay and nay. So no one party. And I think you can, I think that you can accidentally cheapen the gospel. And so my big encouragement to you is this. Number, number one, stop being a Kool-Aid drinker. Stop it. It's so, I don't care if you grew up in that party and that's what California is or that's what mama did or what. Stop it. Be a thinker, not a, not a, not a Kool-Aid drinker. I rhymed. That was good. Um, be, be a thinker, engage and recognize too that like, again, not one party. So long before I want you to be a Republican. Or long before I want you to be a Democrat or Libertarian or whatever whatever there is. I want you to be kingdom. I want you to be kingdom. Because here's the deal. These parties will come and go. Historically speaking, we know that they do. America might come and go. So, like, don't be kingdom. Even before you're American, which I love America. I'm so glad I live here and nowhere else. I'm so glad. And I would support and be proud. But long before I'm American even, I'm Kingdom. And so be really, really careful and stop getting on Facebook and posting nonsense about how if you're a real Christian, you'll vote Democrat or you're a real Christian, you'll vote. But stop it. You're cheapening the gospel. And what you're doing is, is you're alienating half the population. So by being so adamant, like you're going to make America great again, you're hacking off 50% of the population and losing your influence. Now, do I think now here's so here's what I think. I'm not saying Retract completely from the political po- process. Vote. Engage. I think you want to do it on an individual basis. And here's what I mean by that. If there is a specific issue that you can take up and get involved with, do so. Because, again, we know that these issues are worth getting involved with. Go get involved. Go vote. Be a part of the process. Hey, think and study and look into it. And, hey, listen, 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 listen. When I say don't be a Kool-Aid drinker, what I'm saying is, is don't just listen. Because people, when they go and read and listen and watch, they're not looking for information. They're usually looking for affirmation. So you go listen to your people, convince you that you're right, and it makes you feel better about yourself. Be a thinker. Go listen to the other side. Weigh it all out. Think. Ask deep, profound questions. Wait. Look. At, yeah, can I? Can I tell you this? Yeah. We have time. Yeah, yeah, we have. Time. Are we okay? Yeah. Two people. Okay, we're gonna pray then. <laughs> I, I remember. I remember. You know, again, the older you get, the more the more kind of aware and engaged you might get into politics. And I remember. I remember at one point being so annoyed at all that I saw back and forth and the arguing, the bickering, and especially the the mudslinging and the slandering, and it's it's so petty. Um, And I finally just said, God, what is the best way to do politics? Like, it was just a real innocent question. Like, God, what is the best way to do politics? And it dawned on me. And I'm like, well, God created a nation. What did he tell them to do? Because if he told a nation how to live and act and behave, maybe that's the right way. So I literally, I don't know. Hopefully this will be interesting to like five of you. So just hang with me. But, But the Bible, especially in Genesis moving forward, is a story of governments. I want you to think about this. So in the very first government, you see no government, which is anarchy, right? It's in the days of Noah. And it says in the days of Noah, everybody just did what was evil in their own sight. And they were all wicked and crazy. Why? There was no government. There was no rule of law. There was nothing. And so you know what there was? Crazy and chaos. And so then uh, that's the first one. So the next one, though, the next story you get to after the Noah and the flood story is the Tower of Babel, which is really socialism because they don't define a king there's no leader. It's a group dynamic, and they purposely use nothing but us and we language. So there's almost this socialistic idea that, like, the collective is the most important thing. And I think you have to be very, very uh, careful of anarchy. That's not good, according to God. But I don't think socialism is either. I think when you look at socialism, I think it's wrong in the sense that it depends on what version of it. So let me be careful here, and I'm not a political expert, but in in a a strong sense of socialism, uh, I, I think you have to break three of the Ten Commandments to pull it off. Because number one, you make God government. The government's the answer. Government's the solution. Government government, government should control. Government should be involved. Government should take over. And I think that's, number one, I think that's lacking wisdom because you have to ask yourself this. Do I want the people that run the post office and the DMV to run my life? And, and then I think we can come to some very uh, obvious answers. Um, have you ever been to DMV? That's what I think purgatory is. That's what I think. And so... <laughs> I'm in this holding station where they won't let me go. Anyway, um, and so uh, my, my point is, is that, that you have, number one, you have to make God uh, government, and make government's the answer. And we don't believe that as Christ followers. We think God is the answer, no matter what political system you're in, right? Because here's, here, here's what the New Testament teaches about politics. Pray for your leaders. That's it. That, isn't that crazy? And the guy that said it had a tyrannical, murderous, awful human being named Nero as his leader. He's like, no, pray for that guy. It's so many people, it's, it's just so irritating about Christians sometimes. So many people that were Christians and were Republican just did nothing but slander Obama. And I'm like, well, did you pray for him though? Like, genuinely, did you pray for him? And then now you got people on the left who hate Donald Trump and he's the Antichrist, this, which is what they said about Obama, which is fascinating to think about. How can they both be the Antichrist? But anyway, but, 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 you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Did you pray for him? Like, the president, did you, did you pray for him? Genuinely. Because that's what the New Testament actually teaches you how to do. So what does the New Testament teach on politics? You pray for it. That's what that teaches. But when you look at the Old Testament, it moves eventually from socialism, which, which again, I think has some, some negative points to it. And then, it, then from there, it moves into a dictatorship because it moves to Egypt and there's a Pharaoh. Now it begins with a benevolent dictator and then it moves to a tyrannical dictator and they, he enslaves everybody. And then God sets them free and gives them their own nation. And I want you to think about this for a second. He gives them their own nation and he says, you're not going to have a king. You have me and I'm going to give you a law. And that law is good, and it is fair, and I want you to honor me and follow the law. Which is, in essence, what the idea behind a republic would be. Does that make sense? And that's, that was what I think the founders wanted. I think they wanted a more limited government that was law-based. Does that make sense? And the reason why is because when you make a law, especially built off the, the, the Judeo-Christian beliefs, is hopefully you will end up with a good and fair law. So is America perfect? No, I'm not saying that. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But the idea of a law and that we all have to, so the president has to submit to the law, uh, Congress has to submit to the law, you, every person has to submit to the law, we all submit to the law because that was what Israel, they had a Republican essence. Now they moved into a monarchy, and what did you see what happened when they had a monarchy? It got corrupt and it went bad. And so the idea would be, because that was what I think Thomas Jefferson said. Thomas Jefferson, when, when the, these guys were starting to write uh, the Constitution, um, there's a quote from, I think, Jefferson where a woman says, what have you done? What did you guys write? And he said, well, I gave you a republic if you'll keep it. And I think the idea of, because here's why I kind of believe limited government is better. It's because ultimately everything because of sin will eventually leak towards corruption and then hopefully correction. But if it doesn't get corrected, it dissolves. Does that make sense? And so I think you want to be careful to preserve. And it's it's just my idea. My idea would be that that the Old Testament has this arc of politics, but it moves towards the idea that honor God and obey his law. And so as a Christ follower, you know what I want you to do? I want you to honor God and obey his law. Does that make sense? So pray for your leaders, pray for your president, whether you agree with them or not. That's what the New Testament teaches. And I think the Old Testament teaches ultimately this, you honor God and you follow his laws because ultimately all of God's laws are built on the ultimate ethic, which is love. Which is why Jesus said the whole Old Testament hangs on this two ideas. You love God
1: and you love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you'll thrive in any society. Thank you, Pastor Todd. Come on, you guys. One more time, clap your hands. This has been great.
0: Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.